You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Back in 1937, Excelsior Springs, Missouri resident Harold Hewlin was madly in love with his girlfriend Florence Hurlbut. He desperately wanted to marry her, but every time he asked her, the answer was always the same. No. But Harold was never one to give up, so he asked her every single day, sometimes twice in the same day, but she continued to say no. Well, after a couple of years of constantly being turned down, he decided to do something outrageous to get her attention. It was something so unusual that Harold and Florence's story was soon to be told in newspapers and on radio from coast to coast. And just what did Harold do? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. All I'll say at this point is that their courtship may have been one of the hottest in history, and I mean hot. I am Steve Silverman, and today I present to you the totally true story of the Radiator Romeo. This is the Useless Information Podcast. Useless information. Well, here we are once again in the month of February, and you know what that means. Valentine's Day is coming up shortly. And in honor of the Day of Love, I thought this would be a good time to tell you a fun, quirky story about a couple from the late 1930s who struggle with the thought of marrying one another. And to be a little bit more specific, let me just tell you that one half of the couple desperately wanted to marry while the other half struggled with making that commitment. So let's roll our clocks back to February of 1937 and have our two lovebirds introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Robert Harold Hewlin, although I do prefer to be referred to by my middle name of Harold. I was born on November 24th, 1895 in Madison, Missouri to Allison Amos Hewlin. And despite my attempts to break into vaudeville over the years, success has eluded me, you know, much like many others in the industry. My most notable moment as an artist occurred in 1935. That's when a song and dance act that I organized became a highlight of the minstrel show at the Kiwanis Club in Mexico, Missouri. That performance, which I titled, That's How Darkies Were Born, featured Lillian Brady Burton and Mary Catherine Davenport joining me on stage. It was said to bring down the house. Anyway, I spent the summers of 1934 and 1935 employed as the recreational program director for the Excelsior Springs Chamber of Commerce. But when the city park was closed last summer because the municipal water system was being constructed, I had absolutely no choice but to take a job at my dad's insurance agency. 
So I guess now I'm an insurance agent. And I am Florence Isidore Smith Herbert, Harold's girlfriend. I was born on March 12, 1917 in Nebraska to Eunice and William Smith. Following my mother's remarriage, Ira Hurlbut became my stepfather, and that's how my name became Florence Hurlbut. Now, until just a week ago, I held a position as a stenographer for the mineral water system here. Unfortunately, in an effort to reduce expenses, they decided to lay me off, so I guess I'm unemployed. As for Harold, I first met him while he was performing in one of his shows. I was 14 years old at the time. But I just learned to love him two years ago. Clearly, Harold was much older than Florence and wished for nothing more than to marry her. But Florence, on the other hand, was reluctant. So he would ask her day after day, week after week, but her answer was always no. But as the expression goes, desperate people do desperate things, and Harold was no exception. So on the morning of Wednesday, February 3rd, 1937, He headed over to the Excelsior Springs Trust Company and climbed the stairs to the lobby that was just outside of Florence's apartment. He then placed a rubber pillow down on the floor and plopped himself right down on top of it. Next, he fastened a dog chain to his right wrist and he then proceeded to padlock himself to the radiator. And his resolve was firm. He made it clear that he wouldn't depart until Florence consented to marry him. By his own estimation, this marked the 100th time that he had posed the question to her. I'm a desperate man. Florence refused to make up her mind about our marriage again last night. That was the last straw. Now I'm here to stay until she makes up her mind, and I won't lose. The only problem was that Florence wasn't in her apartment at the time, so she was totally unaware of what Harold was up to. Can you imagine her shock when she returned home shortly after noon that day? Here I am, and here I stay until you name the day. You get out of here. I never heard of anything so ridiculous. Well, Harold then just took his hand and with great confidence he ran it over his thinly trimmed mustache. He just looked at her and said, Say when! She begged and pleaded with him to stop what he was doing, but he made it clear that he wasn't going anywhere. You know I love you, Harold. You know I just can't make up my mind. Now please unchain yourself. I must forget about all this silliness. Even Florence's aunt, that's Ruth Smith, she owned the building and she couldn't get Harold to budge. So she knelt down next to him and warned him. This is no way to win a young girl's love. Needless to say, 30-year-old Harold came equipped for the long haul. So to fill his time, he chain-smoked cigarettes, occupied himself with endless rounds of solitaire, and of course, read magazines and books. But as the afternoon dragged on, he switched to a more comfortable feather pillow as Florence and her aunt opted to leave the room. Then, at around 6 p.m., the dinner that he had prearranged for was delivered and he sat down to have his meal. Oh, wait a second, he was already sitting down. An hour later, Florence returned and told Harold that if he didn't unchain himself from that radiator immediately, she would call the cops. Well, he simply chuckled and reminded her that he was a deputized policeman himself. She then turned to him and said, 
I'm going out for a long walk. You had better be gone when I return. To which Harold mockingly replied, Now, honey... She wouldn't return until around 11.15 in the evening, Florence then blurted out. I thought I told you to leave. Nope, I'm still here, and I'm going to stay here just like I told you unless you name the happy day. Tired of arguing with Harold, she slumped down into a chair and soon fell asleep right next to him. And he just lit another cigarette and looked through the pages of a romance magazine. And then about an hour later, Florence got up and went back to her apartment for the evening. And so ended day one of the Radiator Romeo's attempt to win Florence's hand in marriage. Early the next morning, Ruth asked Harold what he wanted for breakfast. His request was simple, just some rolls and some coffee. And while she was vacuuming the floor, she commented, Fellows in love don't eat much. Well, it wasn't long before the story of Harold's sit-down strike, as the press began to call it, spread throughout the media. Calls began to pour in from all over the country, and that forced the local telephone company to bring in three additional long-distance operators. In fact, the calls were flying in so fast that Florence just ceased to answer them. And Aunt Ruth, she was even more annoyed. The telephone kept ringing all the time, people calling up. I finally told the operator to quit ringing. Some men came here to take motion pictures. All I got to say is if he gets out of here, it would be motion picture enough. Harold then chimed in. If Florence will name the day of our wedding, I will go gladly. You silly. The answer is still no. Ruth then added, I'm no John Lewis and I don't know what to do about ending the sit-down strike, but I don't think I'll stand this foolishness much longer. I don't dislike Harold. I guess neutral is the best way to describe my feelings towards him. I should probably just throw in quickly that she's referring to John L. Lewis, who's the once powerful leader of the United Mine Workers of America. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Meanwhile, back to the story. Harold could be heard singing love songs, which he purposely directed down the hall towards Florence's apartment. But the long hours were finally starting to take their toll on him. Being chained to the radiator, he noted... I wish I had a bicycle in that treadmill so I could pedal here by the radiator and get some exercise. So he just went ahead and dealt out his umpteenth hand of solitaire. Lucky cards, I'm lucky love, you know. A reporter interviewed Excelsior Springs Mayor John S. Lodwick inside of Clarence Peck's drugstore, which just happened to be located right across the street from Florence's apartment. He said... I never ignore choosing to show signs of disappointed love. I don't know anything that the city can do about this. The city has no love arbitration department. Druggist Peck then pointed to a soda table near the cosmetics display. Right there's where that romance budded, and I've seen them both there time after time the last three years. Mostly you to sit and look at the girl while she sipped a soft drink. 
After that, the mayor decided it was time to go pay Harold a visit. And upon reaching the top of the stairs, Harold asked, How you, pal? How do you do, Harold? But the mayor quickly turned his attention to Florence, who was biting her nails. I'd bite my nails when I'm nervous. I'm nervous now. A reporter noted that she had since changed from black velvet pajamas into a flaming red dress trimmed in black. And the mayor began to question Florence. What is your ambition if not to marry? I wish to be a secretary. Have you a secret ambition? Yes. I wish very much to be an actress. When the mayor asked Florence whether or not she really liked Harold, she replied, Sure I like him. Maybe I love him. But he's not going to force me into anything with this silly business. Besides, that's a way to propose sitting down on a rubber pillow. And he hasn't shaved either. Now, Harold did admit that he was older than he originally stated. I said I was 30, but I'm really 35. I attended Central High School when Mr. Holmes was principal. I also went to Horner Institute. That's where my talents from the stage were brought out. I have to tell you, he was still lying through his teeth. Harold Hewlin was really 41 years old. And I'll be generous here and say he was a very youthful 41. In his first interview with the Associated Press, Harold explained, I asked Florence to marry me. She said she couldn't make up her mind. She has repeated the same thing twice every week for the last year. Now I'm here and I'm not leading until I get an answer. And in an exclusive interview with the New York Daily News, he added, I can cook. I'll feed myself while she's at work. She said maybe for two years now. I don't want anything but a signed contract or anyhow a marriage license. But Florence told the United Press, Who ever heard of a sit-down strike for love? It's positively crazy. And if he thinks I'm going to be stampeded into this thing, he's crazy. Besides, it doesn't look good to the neighbors. Well, as she sat at the beauty parlor across the street getting, you know, some freshening up, someone stopped in to tell Florence that the manager of the Elms Hotel was sending over a waiter to serve a prenuptial cosmopolitan meal. Mm-mm-mm. This included dry martinis, beluga caviar, mock turtle soup, and prize beef. Sure, I'll eat a meal with him, but I won't marry him. Later, announcer Dan Paul of radio station WDAF, that's 620 kilohertz on the dial, he did a live broadcast on location. And yes, it was done right in front of that radiator, and it went out to an estimated 1 million listeners all across the NBC radio network. And with so many people listening, the pressure was now on Florence to finally give in and agree to marry Harold. So just what would she say? I think the whole thing is ridiculous. It won't work. My answer is still no. As the sun rose on day three, as you can imagine, Harold was still chained to that radiator. But Mayor Lodwick was becoming concerned with all the disruption that this spectacle was creating in Excelsior Springs. So he conferred with the city attorney, and they concluded that the best approach was to charge Harold with disturbing the peace. 
And once that complaint was drawn up, the mayor and police chief William A. Payne walked the couple of blocks to inform Harold that he had until noon the next day to vacate the premises. But Harold just looked up at them and said, Gentlemen, if you have no warrant, you're just wasting your time and might as well get out. Later that afternoon, three men came in and forcibly attached a 90-pound or 40.8-kilogram rusty ball and chain to Harold's leg. He identified his assailants as Excelsior Springs jailer Roy Holt and fireman Marion Boyer and Buford West. So Harold asked Payne to promptly apprehend the trio and the chief willingly agreed. But the only condition was that Harold needed to go to City Hall to sign a warrant. But clearly, since he was, let's just say, tied up at the moment, he wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. Fortunately, someone provided him with a file and he dedicated the next several hours to freeing himself from the restraint, which he was able to do. Meanwhile, Aunt Ruth was not a happy camper. All these people coming in here are beginning to wear on my nerves, (laughs) not to mention the carpets. I have an empty room, but I couldn't rent it out now. It's ruining my business. I will rent it from you if you move my radiator in with me. Say, that's not a bad idea. I'm going to start asking rent for camping in my hotel. It's going to be pretty steep, while with all these people wearing out my stairs, tramping up here. Now, one thing that did puzzle me was how Harold was able to remain attached to that radiator for several days without needing a bathroom break. I mean, think about it. And while the press never did raise that specific question, I do think they were on to him. And that's because they kept asking about how he could be clean shaven each and every morning. I mean, was he possibly freeing himself each night to attend to such matters? Or could he have been secretly retreating to a real bed after everyone departed for the night? One can only speculate. Hmm. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Then, Friday, February 5th, 1937, it marked the day that Florence went missing. Concerned, Harold enlisted the help of friends to search for her. They found out that she had sought temporary shelter in the residence of his uncle. That's T.E. Crawford, who is the vice president of the Excelsior Springs Bank. In response, Harold released himself from the dog chain, gathered up all his belongings, and made his way to his uncle's home. And you know exactly what he did next. He secured himself to the radiator just outside of Florence's room. But what Harold didn't know was that the whole thing was a ruse. You see, as Harold slept serenely outside that closed guest room door, his uncle helped Florence escape out the window. Then she was driven to Kansas City, where she boarded a TWA Sky Chief and departed for New York City at 3.29 a.m. local time. That plane was scheduled to land in Newark, New Jersey at 10.53 a.m. New York time. 
Well, when Florence stepped off that plane, she found herself instantly engulfed by a crowd of reporters and photographers, and all of them were eagerly seeking the scoop on whether or not she would tie the knot with Harold. She said that she would announce her decision Monday evening on the Phil Baker radio show, which was to be broadcast from coast to coast over the Columbia Broadcasting System, which, of course, is better known today by its initials, CBS. Now, the show had picked up the cost of her entire trip, and as Florence explained, I decided to get away from it all by accepting one of the many offers that had been made to me. She continued, I told my family and friends that I was going to a sanitarium to read books to somebody. Instead, I went to a friend's house and then to Kansas City to board the plane. This is my first plane ride. I thought it was wonderful, but I wasn't feeling very well. The next day, the New York Daily News declared that the whole thing had been a publicity stunt. But Florence wanted to set the record straight. It wasn't a stunt. How just got all steamed up about my delay. First thing I knew, he was resting on my radiator reading Gone with the Wind. But what about poor Harold? I mean, was he still chained to that radiator back in Excelsior Springs? I got a telegram, and she says she will give me her answer tomorrow night on a radio program. So Harold unchained himself from the radiator and declared, I think it was a little unfair for Florence to go away like that without telling me. I admit I feel a little bit left out in the cold. After all, I was the one who endured the hardships of a strike. Still, she gets the break. Beginning at 3 p.m. on Monday, February 8th of 1937, Harold sat down beside his radio and he turned the dial to various stations that were carrying the CBS feed. He eagerly awaited the moment when Phil Baker began to introduce Florence. And here's what Phil said. It's a well-known fact that through the ages men have done curious things for love. But it remains for 1937 to bring to light one of the most curious demonstrations of affection that has ever been heard of. Florence, come up here for a moment and tell us the circumstances of this most unusual sit-down strike for love. What happened? Well, little did I dream a week ago when I invited him over to my house and asked him to sit down that he wouldn't get up for four days and four nights. Okay, okay, let's forget the small talk. Was she about to tell Harold no for the umpteenth time, or was she finally going to say yes? Well, Harold, since I left Excelsior Springs, I've had loads of time to think everything out by myself. And if you really want me to be your bride, I'll marry you in June. And that, my friends, is basically the end of the story, at least as far as coverage in the press is concerned. But it left me wondering, you know, did the two ever marry? And the answer is no. It's unclear what happened next. You know, maybe it all was a publicity stunt. Or maybe, just maybe, Harold's love for Florence was real, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. But if nothing else, their story did capture the hearts and minds of people for a very short time back in 1937. Harold Hewlin's 1942 draft registration shows that he had blue eyes, brown hair, and stood nearly 5 foot 8 inches tall. That's roughly 173 centimeters. Yet he only weighed 112 pounds or 50.8 kilograms. Clearly, Harold was in poor health at the time. He passed away on February 3rd of 1943, 
which just happened to be the sixth anniversary of the day he chained himself to that radiator. He was just 48 years old, and the cause of death was spinal meningitis. As for Florence, she would go on to marry Forrest W. or Jack Larkin on October 2nd of 1944. The couple had three children. They were Gloria, Linda, and Ernest. She was 73 years old when she passed away on November 11th of 1990. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that story. I just thought it was a nice story for Valentine's Day. I should mention that all the quotations that you heard were real, except for the first few paragraphs where I had Harold and Florence introduce themselves. While the facts are correct, uh, the paragraphs were just totally made up. And yes, Harold really did have a song and dance routine with the offensive title of That's How Darkies Were Born. And I did debate as to whether to include that little factoid in the story or not, but I ultimately concluded that one can't change history, nor should we ignore it, and that's why I left it in. I do want to thank all my friends who read the various parts. Harry played the part of Harold. Iris was Florence. Nora was Aunt Ruth Smith. Paul was the mayor. Calvin was the druggist. And I think finally, Bob played the part of comedian Phil Baker. I hope that I got them all. Um, And if I missed anyone, I'm just going to be rude and say I'm not apologizing to any of them. And there's a reason for that. That's because none of these people ever existed. All of the voices except mine were AI-generated using the website 11labs.io. That's actually me reading every single word. For example, I read the following. All these people coming in here are beginning to wear on my nerves, not to mention the carpets. Then I uploaded that audio file, selected a voice, and I got this back. All these people coming in here are beginning to wear on my nerves, not to mention the carpets. So you'll have to let me know if you were fooled or not. It wasn't my intention to fool anybody, but I didn't want to mention initially that these were fake voices. And I should point out that the AI is not perfect, but it is getting better and better every single day. There was some audio that I uploaded uh, after it was processed. Some words were dropped out or mispronounced, so I had to re-record them or re-record them slowly so that way uh, no mistakes were made. But I have to say, it was pretty impressive. Now, just coincidentally, I received an affiliate link from 11 Labs this morning. And while I hadn't planned on promoting it, if you sign up using that affiliate link, I'll be compensated in a very small way for doing so. And of course, that helps me cover the expenses of running this uh, podcast. So I guess what I'll do is I'll place that affiliate link in both the Facebook post for the story and, of course, with the transcript on my website. Uh, And again, the website is uselessinformation.org. Not .com, it's .org. Just a reminder that you can find the Useless Information Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to subscribe. The Useless Information Podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, so be sure to visit airwavemedia.com, and there you will find a curated selection of some of the best podcasts out there. Anyway, take care, everyone. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.